This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about embracing the journey in a world forever changed. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Two years ago, on March 17, 2020, the world went into lockdown, and we released our very first episode of Shelter in Place. I remember waking up each day not quite believing that it was real. But at some point, that disbelief shifted to resignation, and then recognition. The world has always needed fixing. The pandemic just made it harder to ignore. Still, even almost two years later, there are some weeks where it feels especially broken. Lately, it's felt like that often, when every day brings more bad news and problems that won't be easily solved. So in this week, when it feels like the world's falling apart, we're taking a moment to remind ourselves that joy and pain have always coexisted, that our ability to live in the tension between them is what makes us human. This is just as true now as it was two years ago. Our son Gabriel says that he doesn't really remember life before the pandemic. He's forgotten the disappointment of his canceled birthday party that week, or how we tried to salvage a celebration with family, even as we were all scrambling to adjust to our new pandemic reality. Only from pictures does he recall the green clovers and happy birthday messages we painted on our windows that remain there for weeks. Our most listened to episode to date is called The Lotus Eaters, where educator and author Susan Wise Bauer talked about the challenges so many of us were facing with school on screen. Gabriel's story is at the heart of that episode, and it's still one of my favorites more than a year later. Because just as our world has changed and adjusted these past two years, so has Gabriel. Yes, we know we're coming up on our two-year anniversary as a show, and we'll get to that later this month. But we want to kick off this month by pulling out that piñata that's been sitting in the basement for the last two years and celebrating our boy in a way that we weren't able to back then. If there's anything I've learned as I've watched the numbers tick up on my own birthdays, it's that there's always more to learn. And sometimes the ones who aren't claiming authority have the most to teach us. In this week where our world feels so broken, we're consulting Gabriel on how to fix the world. Fixing the world in 10 easy steps, or the world according to Gabe. Step one, make a list. Gabe is a productivity guru in a 10-year-old's body. He has checklists for everything. If we drop the ball as parents and forget the rules we've set down, he's got us covered. Here's his checklist for good manners at the Davis house. Do all your chores. No yelling, please. No fighting, please. Be respectful. I on the one who is talking, eyeball drawing included. Say thank you and please before and after meals. No elbows or feet on the table. No saying, I don't like, fill in the blank. There are also one-off checklists, like the ones he made last month for the kids in his class and his sister's classes for prospective Valentine recipients, the checklist of Gabe's favorite Harry Potter characters or most prized Legos. We don't have a cat, but there's a checklist on our fridge right now for the cat's menu, which, in case you want to place an order, includes one, fish, two, tuna fish, Three, fish sticks. Four, cod. Five, catfish. Six, salmon. And seven, wait for it, 
more fish. If you're thinking, wow, I am so impressed with this kid. Sign me up for that salmon. We're right there with you. But also, the caveat to these lists is that most of the time, they're quickly abandoned or repurposed as a mermaid drawing by his five-year-old sister. You can check out our episode, How Can This Be?, for Matea's version of A Better World. For all of that planning, the Valentines never did make it to school. The cat we don't have is still very hungry, and I can tell you that in the fight for good manners at the Davis household, there is plenty of fighting, yelling, and saying, I don't like pretty much everything on that list. To be fair, he's just a kid. If his parents were a little better at completing their own ever-expanding checklist, those Valentines might have made it to school. In our productivity-obsessed culture, it's easy to be critical of the lack of follow-through, which is the subject of our New Year's Eve episode, Productivity Unhacked. Maybe you're a unicorn of the human race, and your to-do list gets completed every single day. Yes, we're talking about you, Melissa Lent. Maybe that cat gets a rotating menu like clockwork, and life always happens on schedule. But even for those of us who are more like Gabe in our list-making habits, the bigger lesson we can learn is that while lists won't fix the world, living intentionally will get us closer to where we want to be. Step two, wash your hands. Gabe is, how can we put this delicately, very concerned about cleanliness and order. You know that trick of teaching kids to sing happy birthday all the way through while they wash their hands? Gabe was all over that years ago. He would sometimes wash his hands so long and so often that we'd have to slather ointment on his red chapped hands and wrists. I still remember the first time I noticed Gabriel's tendency to tidiness. When he was a toddler and I walked into his room and saw that he'd lined up his matchbox cars in perfectly ordered rows, like a big box store parking lot. I texted Nate a picture of it with the message, cute or OCD? We're keeping an eye out for the latter. But in the meantime, Gabe's commitment to cleanliness is a good reminder that sometimes avoiding life sickness and trouble can be simpler than we think. Nowadays, hand-washing feels so obvious, but it's only in the last 200 years that hand-washing became a linchpin of public health and medicine. After some Austrian doctors in the 1800s noticed that the maternity clinic where the medical students washed their hands had lower mortality rates. In some ways, Gabe was just waiting for COVID so the rest of us could get with the program. He's been carrying his own personal hand sanitizer in his backpack since kindergarten. While grown-ups were moaning and groaning about masks and hand sanitizer at the entrance of all the stores, Gabe was high-fiving his sisters. Right after he'd made sure they'd sanitize their hands. Step 3. Wear a cape. Back in the early 2000s, when the first Lord of the Rings movie came out, my mom sewed an olive green wool cape for my brother Elliot so he could go to the premiere as Frodo. Elliot is in his 30s now, and we all got a good chuckle out of that story last year when we were living in Massachusetts and my mom rediscovered the cape during a back basement cleanup. The only person not laughing was Gabe, who was eyeing the cape with a mixture of longing and determination. When Uncle Elliot told Gabe he could have the cape if he wanted, Gabe didn't hesitate for a second. From that day forth, Gabe rarely left the house uncaped. It became the outerwear for all kinds of weather, his most cherished possession. Even when summer came and we were out hiking in 80-degree East Coast humidity, Gabe was insistent that he needed the cape. Whenever he was running down the sidewalk with the cape flying behind him or pulling the hood over his head at the grocery store, he'd get compliments from kids and adults alike. 
everyone loved the cape. I mean, it is a pretty great cape. But I think part of what made the cape so great is that it tapped into a side of Gabe's personality that he doesn't often show, the part of him that still believes in heroes and magic. While the rest of us are doing ordinary things like walking or eating, Gabe is secretly constructing whole worlds and histories inside his head. Even though I know this about Gabe, it still occasionally surprises me. Uncle Elliot, the original cape wearer, moved to California recently, and so we got to be with him for his birthday this fall. Gabe was quiet on the drive to the party, and when we arrived, he gifted Uncle Elliot with a handwritten, effortlessly hilarious, fictionalized story of Uncle Elliot's life, and it was the hit of the party. Gabe and his cape remind me that there's more to the people around us than we sometimes realize. All of us, with the right guidance or circumstances or cape, have the potential to work magic and become heroes. Which brings us to step four of how to fix the world. Save the arts. Those of you who are parents might remember those early pandemic days when Mo Willems was doing daily YouTube videos to teach kids how to draw. It was the first time I realized how much my kids liked drawing, and Gabe in particular, who began sketching Piggy and Gerald on every notebook, folder, and whiteboard. I think we were all a little sad when those Mo Willems videos fell by the wayside. And also, hats off to you for keeping it up as long as you did, Mo. The daily thing is no joke. Thankfully, Gabriel quickly found a classy replacement. Captain Underpants, or in Spanish, Capitan Calzoncillos. For those of you not already familiar with the mind-bendingly prolific children's author and illustrator of such renowned titles as Captain Underpants, The Big Bad Battle of the Bionic Booger Boy, Knight of the Nasty Nostril Nuggets, and Dogman No. 9, Grime and Punishment, Dave Pilkey has mastered the art and science of elementary school humor. At first, I was a Captain Underpants skeptic. But after listening to Gabriel retell the adventures of Hombre Perro and then glimpsing the elaborate comic strips that he felt inspired to create, I remembered my own childhood reading, which was largely dominated by the Babysitter's Club and a lot of books about girls who rode horses. I did eventually get interested in Chenwa Achebe and Toni Morrison and Virginia Woolf, but in the beginning, I just wanted reading that gave me an escape. Because that's what art can do for us. It can give voice to the way we're feeling and remind us that we're not alone. It can make us feel seen and understood. If we dig under the poop jokes, as the giant stack of pencil-drawn cartoons littering the desk shows, what Dave Pilkey is doing and inspiring Cape to do is something not too different than what we've been trying to do through Shelter in Place. Reimagine life through creativity and community, and not take ourselves too seriously in the process. And speaking of underpants, Step five in Gabe's How to Fix the World? Never miss a chance to make him laugh. Why did the toolbox go to a contest? Because he wanted to nail it. <laughs> Why did the cucumber want to get out of the jar? Because he was in a pickle. Why did the strawberry jump out of the jar? Because he was in a jam. Wah, wah. These are just a few of the choicest selections on a document that Gabe composed recently, which I may or may not have helped make up, titled Super Super Awesome Jokes. Puns aside, there's a serious life lesson here. We could all use a little more laughter in our lives. 
The Mayo Clinic recommends laughter as an antidote to stress, and their post titled, Stress Relief from Laughter? It's no joke. They credit laughter with stimulating our hearts, lungs, muscles, with enhancing our intake of oxygen-rich air, increasing endorphin release, and cooling down our stress response, leaving us feeling good. And those are just some of the short-term benefits of laughter. The long-term effects of laughter include an improved immune system, relief from pain, increased personal satisfaction, better coping mechanisms in difficult situations, improved mental health, and increased connection with others. And this isn't just good news for those of us who are naturally funny. Humor can be learned. The author suggests surrounding yourself with pictures or comic strips or videos or, say, kids' books with a lot of silly bathroom humor and looking at them and laughing at them often, even if it feels forced. Forced laughter still works because it often turns into spontaneous laughter, so much so that laughter yoga is a thing. People practice laughing as a group to help each other laugh. Laugh and the world laughs with you, said the American poet Ella Wheeler Wilcox. If laughing together makes us healthier and happier and more connected, this step of Gabriel's really might just do something to fix the world. And speaking of laughter, step six in Gabe's list of how to fix the world is one that makes our kids giggle often, the pillow game. Years ago, when our kids were too small to hurt me with physical force, I came up with a game to play on our backyard trampoline. Here's how it goes. You start with a vintage down pillow, like one of the ones my grandma handed down to my mom. Then, while all the kids jump on the trampoline, you toss the pillow up in the air and try to chop it in half with the hedge clippers. When you hit the pillow just right, it bursts in midair, while the kids shriek with delight as they cavort in a snowstorm of feathers. You can see why this game is such a hit with all the friends and neighbors. Just kidding. Do you think I would really jump on the trampoline with the hedge clippers and a bunch of kids? It's better to use the hand shears. So, okay, here's how the pillow game really goes. No dangerous yard tools involved. I get in the middle of the trampoline and pretend to be a monster. I try to catch the kids as they run around the perimeter of the trampoline. When I catch one, I lie down and use that kid as a pillow, pretending to take a nap, while all the other kids combine forces to try to pry that one free who's been caught. When they eventually get the other kid loose, I do my best grumpy baby impersonation to indicate that my nap has been ruined. Wah! 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 And then, usually when Laura calls out the back door to please stop that awful sound, we begin again. Repeat ad nauseum or until someone gets hurt. Even though I find that 45-year-old baby incredibly annoying, I have to admit that the pillow game has been good for our family. As adults, most of our lives are sedentary. We think we have to make an event out of working out or start some new training plan to be healthy. But we often underestimate the joy of just moving our bodies, which is something I talked about in two of our recent episodes, Dancing Saved My Life and Finding the Fuego. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. Coming into 2022, I had just two resolutions. Find creative solutions when the work piles up and play more. The best thing that I've done to work toward those resolutions is dancing with Making Waves Studios. Every single time I dance with Making Waves, whether it's online or in person, I leave that class feeling so much better than when I came. It's become one of the best sources of joy in my life. I hope you join me at makingwavestudios.com. Just as laughter can make us better, so can play. 
In March of 2021, two researchers in the UK at Stanmore College published a study that examined whether playfulness could mitigate some of the negative effects of the pandemic. They found that playfulness was a powerful coping strategy to reframe a time characterized by stress and fear. Definitions of what play is vary across cultures, but it's often associated with activity that's open-ended with no fixed outcome. Play England defines play as what children and young people do when they follow their own ideas and interests in their own way and for their own reasons. In his book, A Playful Path, Bernard de Coven says that playfulness is a gift that allows you to transform the very things you take seriously into opportunities for shared laughter. Comic Relief is a UK organization whose stated mission is to drive positive change through the power of entertainment. Every year since 1988, Comic Relief has hosted Red Nose Day, where people join forces to raise money for charitable causes around the globe while wearing red clown noses. Red Nose Day is coming up on March 18th, by the way, so you still have time to head to Comic Relief's website and get your own red nose. As Comic Relief says, we need the power of funny to turn laughs into lasting change. The pillow game may not fix the world, but at least for those who are playing it, it makes living in it a little more bearable. So next time I hear that annoying big baby, I might just join in. But let's get back on track with our fixing the world. Step seven on Gabe's list is to know when to strive for perfection and when to let good enough be good enough. Sometimes when I'm feeling worn down by the selective hearing that occurs whenever we ask our kids to do something that will require them to stop playing, or I find yet another discarded dress that was part of Matea's daily wardrobe selection, it helps to remind myself of how it used to be in the before times when 100% of the household chores fell to Nate and me. Yes, there's still plenty of nagging, and yes, the house still spontaneously coughs up clutter, like an allergic reaction to being cleaned. But when I think about where we started just two years ago, it puts it all in perspective. It's amazing how when watching TV is the incentive, the kids suddenly develop superpowers when it comes to cleaning. Gabe puts his list-making skills to good use while Grace delegates. They tag-team folding laundry and vacuuming. And even Matea grabs the short broom that's just her size and starts sweeping. But there is one task that suits Gabe better than all the rest, unloading the dishwasher. Since all the items have just been through a scalding bath, they are all perfectly sanitized so Gabe doesn't have to worry about germs. His orderly nature is a great fit, so to speak, for aligning each silverware item perfectly atop its fellows. Of course, the first time someone pulls the drawer open, all the silverware slides into a jumble, but it's the kind of attention to detail that Steve Jobs supposedly lavished on the innards of the first Macintosh computers. Who's going to know how the inside looks? I will. There are moments when I get a little impatient with Gabe's persnickitude, in particular when he boxes out Matea from helping unload the dishwasher because she's not nesting the spoons properly. But on the other hand, I have to salute the instinct to create a little order in a disorderly world. Many great thinkers and creators have advocated for a neat environment as an aid to creativity. As the French author Gustave Flaubert put it, be regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work. Gabriel makes plenty of room for that wild and original flair as well. Like 
say, in the tiny Legos that I often step on in the middle of the living room floor, or the pile of dirt that has casually been left behind by the vacuum. My own tendency in cleaning is to strive for the same perfection that Gabe works toward with his silverware stacking. But then I'll hear Gabe running the vacuum when I haven't even asked him to, and I think, meh, better done than perfect. We're still moving in the right direction. Which brings us to the eighth step of fixing the world. Make do with less. Every morning before Gabe gets in the shower, he lays out different versions of the same outfit. A t-shirt, warm-up pants, and on cold days, his gray zip-up fleece. When he leaves the house, the only shoes he needs are his black tennis shoes. Gabe has more important things on his mind than clothing. There's a world out there to fix, remember? Gabriel did not get this commitment to simplicity from his parents. I've heard about thinkers and artists who choose to dress in the same outfit every day to save their decision-making powers for things that matter. I've even tried it myself a few times, but the practice has never stuck. Early in our relationship, Nate and I bonded over our love of thrift store shopping because we could choose from endless variety without feeling guilty for spending too much money. But there is someone in the family who shares Gabe's preference for simplicity. We featured him in our December episode, The Theology of Listening. He's Professor John Jefferson Davis to his seminary students. But to Gabe, he's Pop Pop. Growing up and today, my pop's outfits could be counted on one hand. There was the blue sweater, the red sweater, and the same khaki pants and loafers for all occasions. I can remember several times where my mom would pull something out of his closet for him to wear, and he'd say, that isn't mine, because he'd forgotten he owned it. I think Gabe and my pop have a lot in common, which came to light last year when we were living near my parents in Massachusetts. Gabe and my pop have the same can't-be-bothered-with-real-life breeziness about them, the same ability to tune out the rest of the world when a book or project captivates them. Clothing and food are just things that they have to check off each day to get to the more interesting things that mostly live inside their own heads. As much as I can't help myself from fluttering near the flame of variety in everything I do, I have to say that I do think Gabriel and Pop-Pop are onto something. So much of our dissatisfaction in life comes from our endless craving for more. More money, more things, more choices. But what if we could make do with less? What if we could remind ourselves that the real spice of life is found not in the things we consume, but the ideas we can explore together? We might just start to heal a few of the places where we've been broken. And speaking of making do with less, step nine in Gabe's world-fixing list is to say less. When Gabriel was a baby and I was a new mom with ambitions of not letting parenthood change my life the slightest bit, I used to take him to parties strapped to my chest. I couldn't wait to show off how cute he was, for my friends to hear his sweet baby babble and see his gleeful smile. He'd chatter away unintelligibly on the drive over and giggle when I got him out of the car seat, but as soon as the door swung open, he went silent and stayed that way until the party was over or we went home. The first couple of times this happened, it startled me. How could the same kid who talked to me constantly suddenly become this stone-faced, silent baby who looked wide-eyed at the world like it might swallow him whole? Years later, when he went to preschool, his teacher pulled me aside one day and asked me, does he ever talk at home? Non-stop, I told her. But at school, he preferred to hang back and do crafts while the other kids were running around the playground. Eventually, I learned to appreciate this about Gabriel, to understand that he needed to be in the world first as an observer and only later as a commentator. 
that it was important for him to understand the people he was with before he let his guard down. It's not a bad way to live, actually, to listen and observe before you decide to talk. Even though Gabe has learned to speak up more in school and assert himself when it's needed, he's still quiet in new situations. As a fellow introvert, I can relate. When Laura and I were first dating and she brought me to a barbecue to meet 50 of her closest college friends, I was so overwhelmed by meeting all those new people that I snuck off to read a book under a nearby tree. American culture rewards extroversion, learning to be quiet, to be comfortable enough with both yourself and others to just be is a skill that few of us possess. In the words of philosopher Blaise Pascal, all of humanity's problems stem from people's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Learning to be present, to not need to fill the silence with activity or chatter, is what we're after in meditation and mindfulness practices. It's a gift to feel comfortable enough in your own skin to just be quiet, and it's a gift to others to be a friend who doesn't always need to fill the silence with noise. Seven years ago, when Gay was just three, we met a family who lived a few blocks away from us, who would end up becoming some of our closest neighborhood friends. We started watching each other's kids, noticing our kids' similarities and differences. Their three kids are the same ages as ours, and over the years, our kids have attended preschool and now elementary school together, carpooling in the mornings and often playing together after school. Even when they were toddlers, Elena and Gabe seemed to understand each other, They've always been comfortable in each other's company, just as happy reading books or playing Legos as they are talking. The older they get, the more I appreciate what they're giving to each other, the simple gift of presence. There's no pressure to fill the space with words and questions as we often tend to do. They don't have to prove themselves to each other. It's enough to just be in each other's company. They do sometimes talk, but more often than not, they're content to just do their own thing together. The unspoken message between them is that each other is exactly what they need. Especially after two years of mostly not seeing friends, of seeing friendships fall by the wayside because of my ability to show up or keep up with long-distance communication, I'm appreciating friendships like the one that Gabe and Elena have. Not everyone can extend friendship without expectations and requirements. But when you find those friendships that allow you to be messy and flawed and inconsistent, and yes, quiet, it's a rare and precious gift. One that could make our world a kinder place to live. Which brings us to the last of our 10 steps in fixing the world. When all else fails, get out your headlamp and your camouflage and start sneaking around in the dark. Gabe has another friend who's been in his life even longer than Elena, Miles. Miles is a year younger than Gabe, and he was the very first friend Gabe ever had. Their friendship has always been a special one, but it's also sometimes been complicated because, how can I say this, the world Miles moves in is often a lot more pleasant than the one that we're usually in. Miles is the only child of the insanely talented jazz musicians Kenny Washington and Susanna Smith, who have a talent both for making great music and for raising an incredibly sweet, respectful, and, at least to our ears, quiet and compliant boy. I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard Miles cry or throw a temper tantrum over the years. In our family, somebody is always having a meltdown. And yes, sometimes that somebody is me. 
Susanna, Kenny, and Miles are beloved friends in spite of the many outbursts and annoyances that they've had to put up with living next to us for the past 14 years. So you can imagine my surprise when Miles showed up on our front porch one night armed with an arsenal of Nerf guns. I knew I'd been living in the left of Liberal Bay Area for a long time when the sight of all those plastic guns made me feel a little squeamish. Susanna sheepishly apologized, saying that it had been given as a gift, but less than an hour later, I was sold. All it took was seeing our kids and Miles peering over the fence and racing down the driveways to the barely audible pop-pop-pop of Nerf darts to remind me of the childlike joy of sneaking around in the dark. As a 45-year-old dad, I'd forgotten how being part of one team against another is just fun. There's a simple adrenaline pleasure in crouching behind the minivan, peeking around the corner to try to pop a kid with a Nerf dart while avoiding getting tagged yourself, and then turning around just in time to see your two-foot-tall five-year-old fire a Nerf gun as big as she is and say, Got you, Daddy! At Shelter in Place, we're all about creating welcoming virtual space where everyone can feel seen, celebrated, and safe. But since we're always looking for the bigger life lessons here, I think what those nerf skirmishes can teach us is that finding ways to work out conflict that can help us ultimately work together and support each other better is a crucial part of learning to live in this world. My natural tendency is to try to avoid conflict, but those nerf gun battles remind me that learning to fight fair and have each other's backs almost always leads to a better outcome. Also, it's just really fun to sneak around in the dark wearing camouflage. Happy birthday, Gabriel. Here's to another year of fixing the world your way. You're a good boy, and we love you so much. I love you, Gabe. You're the best brother ever. We know you hear it everywhere, but it really does make a big difference when you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you've appreciated Shelter in Place these past two years, and it's made you feel a little less alone, you can help us to continue this work by supporting us for as little as $5 a month. As always, we'll give you a special personalized shout out at the end of the episode to let you know just how much we appreciate you. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Melissa Lent is our project manager. Sarah Edgel is our design director. Nate Davis is our creative director. And as always, I'm your host and executive producer. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now, if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. There's a reading of the card to me by Gabe entitled To My One and Only Tio Calamari de Gabriel. <clears throat> the story of Tio Calamari. Today, well, as you can see, dear reader, I am going to tell you about my Tio Calamari. He grew up on Lower Street, Hamilton, Massachusetts. He lives with his mom and dad in Mass, still, I know. <laughs> it's really nice, you know. Anyway, if you are wondering what his favorite color is, well, I don't know. Ask him. The last time I saw him was at my house. My past self just went to see him in the Time Traveler. Oh, and don't tell any grown-ups about the Time Traveler, especially my parents. They would go crazy. <laughs> so, my future self is going to my past and his past to take my future self's place. And yeah, it's kind of complex. Anyway, I'm just chilling. So yeah. <laughs> well, I need to go to my sister's soccer game. Bye. I might see you again. Goodbye.
Need to go. Bye. Need to go. I know that was the second time I've said that. Written by Gabriel Davis, and also the pictures by Gabe. Oh, so and there you go.